So I've been I've been watching um, uh, for all mankind the show yeah. on, on Apple. Are you caught up on that? No, <clears throat> okay. not caught up. But I've seen like eight episodes or something. Yeah. So, you know, the first season is about going to the moon, and then the second season is they're on the moon, and there's all this competition with Russia because I told you about this, right? Mm-hmm. So this like alternative history where like Russia right. lands first, and then the space race continues, and then the third season, which I'm re- re- watching right now, is to Mars, right? So like they keep stacking this mm-hmm. thing up and there's all this competition and like this doesn't really give anything away about the plot but obviously they get to mars and there's americans and russians and a private company that's american but it's a little bit like a <clears throat> blue horizon jeff bezos kind of vibe mm-hmm. like oh we're going to mars right and at every step of this process back when they were trying to go to the moon and then once they were on the moon and now they're on mars you know there's like 14 human beings on mars from three different locations and they are competing with each other right for like who can find the water and who can do the whatever because everyone wants to be first everyone wants to like claim this for their country and they've got all these fuckers back on earth who represent whole countries and whole governments but there's 14 actual human beings on mars Mm -hmm. and you guys can't fucking work together can't work together like Middle fingers to everybody back at home. You're going to be here, fun fact, for two and a half years. Right. Okay? It's a long-ass time for you guys to figure your shit out. I think maybe, I don't know, we could work together a hundred million miles away from Earth. But the whole thrust of this season has been about how they can't. Like, about how they just... There's all this crap left over, and there's all this weird human stuff that's left around competition. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... I'm like about to sneeze. I like feel it. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> it's like in my nose. <laughs> Brutal. Anyway, it just it made me think of this thing you were talking about with with Doan's clinic. Like this idea that like we're gonna be super competitive and we're mm-hmm. gonna hold people to these contractual arrangements. And it's like, why? Why? Like, are you really worried that people are gonna like people aren't gonna pay you, I guess, the fifty K or whatever it costs to like go be a Doan, you know, acolyte? Mm. And then they'll pay someone in Boston instead of you in Washington. Like, there's... America's a huge place. There are plenty of patients. Like, it's fine. You know what I mean? People get so attached to the, the notion of competition. Yeah. Well, well, like, where for you does, um, does competition cross the line into being, like, unhealthy? Because I do think there's a level of competition that, like, fosters growth and actually does like foster community in a way or like this idea of coming together because we're both like striving for greatness but it's like maybe when it becomes like backstabbing or like i don't know i just i don't know this is like i don't know exactly i mean this might sound crazy to say but i don't believe in interhuman competition yeah like at all <laughs> like i just don't like my competition is not with you mm-hmm. it's with myself right, right. that's what right? i was gonna say too. can uh-huh. i achieve that which i wish to achieve right that's all i care about if you're doing the same thing that i'm doing great yeah great minds think alike now okay if you're going out of your way to fuck me right so yeah. you're like stealing my stuff so that i can't have it not because mm-hmm. you're just like not aware or whatever but if you're going out of your way to mess with my vision, mm. now we're going to have a problem, right? 
Right. But that is sabotage in my mind, which That's is not the not same really as competition. competition yeah. Right. So like if you open a clinic across the street from us and more people are going to see you than are coming to see us, mm -hmm. the most natural thing that I can think is, what are we missing? Mm. Right? What are we missing? And is it just you? Like maybe Malik's across the street and people just like him better than they like us. I can't do shit about that, mm -hmm. right? But if, if you have an innovative method or right. a follow-up with patients or something, maybe that's a method I can use. So then maybe you feel like I'm encroaching on your space because I want to know what you're doing that's better than me mm -hmm. so I can do it too. Yeah. And that's kind of, that. I think that's where the classic competition grind comes totally. from. So you don't want to tell me. Right. Right. But the only reason you don't want to tell me is because you're worried about your bottom line. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if... If you've got the perfect system, everyone's coming to you. Right. Right. Why would you shave some of that off to us? Right. And maybe if you're killing it, you're seeing more patients than you could possibly see. Maybe you don't care. Yeah. Right. But honestly, those are some of the people I find the most protective of stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like Doan's a great example. Doan's not short for patients. Right. Right. But. Well, not that we know of. Not that since, we know of. Since the pandemic. That's mm -hmm. true. Maybe it's different after the pandemic. But even still, a lot of people are telemedicine. A lot of people are going you know, different locations. I just, I feel like it's a lot of effort and a lot of personal energy that has mm -hmm. to be spent to be concerned about you. Right. When I right. should just be concerned about me and us, right? And what we're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Then then there's like, there are levels of competition because like when I think of competition, obviously I think of sport and the, one of the cool things about sport is you know, there is kind of this, there is a little bit of that, like, oh my gosh, like, what are they doing that's making them so great? Like, mm -hmm. what is, the, what is happening in Kenya that's making it so that, like, <laughs> all of the greatest so distance fast. runners yeah. are from Kenya, yeah, right? Jamaica. Like, and then Jamaica for sprinters, for, for sprinters and, you know, yeah. whatever it is, like, mm -hmm. and, um, but there's this, there is... An appreciation like a beauty in that I think when okay you're not going out of your way to destroy other people's chances it's more so like your style versus my style like let's see who is the best <laughs> yeah and I don't know I mean that might be different when there's like people's lives at stake or livelihood mm -hmm. It, you know, but you know that high level of competition it is right it is right because people it get is. paid it's their jobs absolutely you know, if you're not the fastest if you're not in the top whatever you're not going to get sponsorship you're mm. not going to get paid mm. so there's the same kind of pressure for like That's survival true. in that case i also i'm not sure if it's i'm not sure if there's something different about it being sport because because it's a job it's not different from a business right uh -huh. it just happens to be that your business is sport right but like if you're a faster runner than me but we're like, we're close. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not leagues ahead of me, right? You're just, you're faster than me. You keep consistently beating me. I want to know, like, I if I feel like, I guess there's two approaches. I feel like my training regimen is the best and baddest it can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And yet you keep beating me. Yeah. So now my natural inclination is to be like, what does Malik know that I don't know? Right? What strategy, what method, what food, what supplement, what mm -hmm. whatever I'm missing? Because I think when you get to a certain level of competition, the difference is so small. Yeah. Everybody's hunting for this advantage. A lot of times, though, I feel like that instinct to reach for what you're doing is the first thing that people go to, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, like, 
is my training regimen actually the best? Uh-huh. Like, I just assumed it is because, I don't know, I made it or my trainer says it is or something. But, like, how do I do a real self-inventory to determine what what room I have to personally grow? Right. You right. know what I mean? <clears throat> and that's the piece that I feel like is missing a lot of the time. So about this, though, I think I have this this idea. <laughs> this is funny, but I actually had a dream once. This is close to a prophetic dream that I've ever had. Or like a, maybe not a prophetic dream, but like a, I don't know. Well, just listen and you'll get it. But um, I met this woman in the dream. And in the dream, we were having a conversation about power. And what she said was, she, she said to me was, we try to achieve power until we have it. And then we try to give it away. And right after that, I woke up. So I remembered the like the crux of the conversation. I've done a lot of thinking about this since then. And I think that any form of, like if you go to athletics or you go to business, any form of acquiring power, if at some point you don't transition from the continual accumulation of power, it becomes pathological. Hmm. At some point you have to transition from trying to get more power to feeling that you have it and then your desire, your natural inclination is to give mm. back, to give something to others. I think that's the natural human inclination. But if you don't ever get to the place where you feel like you have power or you have enough, then you won't get to the place where you want to give it away. Mm. And so like in the martial arts traditions, I think that's cultivated alongside of skill, martial skill with ethics. Like if the teacher teaches you ethics and code of conduct and stuff like that. So as you get older and you start to age as a martial artist and your natural athletic ability goes down and people younger than you with a lot less experience can beat you, your ethics is still higher than theirs is. Right. And there's a... Um, so then you turn around and train. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. And there, the younger ones. there's a... Um, there's a scene in this uh, second book, the second book that we've been talking about, sort of um, the King of Thorns is mm. what it's called, mm -hmm. where the main character is fencing with a like a world-renowned swordsman. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're getting into it, and the description's beautiful. Like, they're getting into it, and uh, the main character's been training, and he's way better than he was before. And they get into kind of a trance where they're going back and forth and they're going so fast, it's like impossible to think. Mm. They're just in this exchange, da -da 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 -da, faster and faster, faster and faster. And the rhythm increases and increases and increases. And the main character's like thoroughly enjoying himself. And then the guy he's fencing with, the master says, all right, enough. And then they stop. And then they have this exchange afterwards and you know, the main character says, well, you could have beaten me. You know, I know you could have beaten me. You're more skilled than me. I could tell. And he says, um, the master says, yes, I could have. But if I had, we would both have lost. And it's this sort of thing about like, if he had taken that step to win, it would have served him no purpose in his mm -hmm. path because he already knew he was more developed as a swordsman right but to it would be ego at that it, point. it would be ego at that point exactly yeah which is exactly this like transitional place with development and power and yeah i don't know 
It goes back to the the Taoist concept of conduct in general that we mm-hmm. talk about all the time. For yeah. like, you can't divorce like any actions from conduct, especially as related to the social order, right? And so, like, if you really want to, like, there's so much emphasis in the wellness world now on self development around like meditation and breathing and these like physical right. aspects, but not so much on conduct, like around restraint and compassion mm-hmm. and nonviolence and a lot of these other, you know, kind of more rounded elements. But we don't really spend a lot of time talking about that. I think it feels too spiritual for people starting to be like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are you telling me how to behave? Just teach me how to shoot chi out of my hands. Mm-hmm. But if conduct was a bigger conversation than that power accumulation thing you said, it's like how would you know? That's the thing. Right. So right. you're in the process of acquiring power, how do you know when enough's enough? Well, like practice conduct mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Like you'd have to constantly be checking in with yourself you'd also have to have examples of other people elders who had achieved and accomplished and then let go similar levels yeah well like nothing about american culture encourages that no i mean nothing nothing i've been listening to this article i don't know if it's the atlantic new york times mag new york times magazine about yachting can i tell you guys about this mm. okay so I'm going to get some of these numbers wrong, but the gist is accurate. It's like, before the 70s, the total number of yachts in the world that were greater than 140 feet was less than 10. Okay? Today, the number of yachts that are greater than 140 feet is more than 700. Okay? 140 feet, which is a yacht, technically, but a a baby yacht by yachting standards, right? When you get above like 240 feet, now you're in a super yacht. And over 350 feet is a mega yacht, right? And some of the largest yachts on the planet are in excess of 420 feet long. Okay. So like greater than a football field, like a battleship, right? Many of them are manufactured in Italy. In fact, the majority are manufactured in Italy. The rest are like in the Netherlands and Germany. And... The average running price, like average, low ball running price is a million dollars a foot. Is about what a yacht costs. A million dollars a, a foot? Or like by length. So if you have like a 434 foot yacht, that's about $430. They're $430 million, right? So just to buy it, right? Holy crap. When, wow. they're, when they're operating, like a super yacht, not a mega yacht, just a, just a small 240 footer. Right. When they're operating, the diesel engines are running, they produce the same amount of greenhouse gases as 1,500 passenger cars in the same amount of time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And the craziest part is that they max out. You can't have more than 12 guests on your yacht. How are you? Right? Because there's maritime rules. So you have a 434-foot uh, ship that can only have 12 people stay on it overnight. What? Yeah. That yeah. is crazy. I know. Power is one thing, and being the most powerful is another thing. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, there's so many people who have power. I mean, if you achieve a certain level of any kind of success, mm-hmm. you have power, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like... The constant, like, checking in, the constant, like, reassessment of your life to recognize, like, okay, I've achieved this level, now who can I give it to, you know, right? how can I distribute this a little bit? Our favorite whipping boy, Jeff Bezos, do you guys see the shit with his 
his uh, ship in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So it's being built in the Netherlands, one of the places they build ships. It's in like this harbor. <clears throat> They're building a ship. The ship is too big to pass under the bridge that has act like it's a drawbridge, but it's still too big to go underneath it that lets him get out to the ocean. Wow. So initially, he was going to pay the city of Rotterdam to take Demolish. the bridge apart to let him get his ship out. Wow. And, you know, it was going to cost, like, a kajillion dollars. But, of yeah. course, he doesn't care. <clears throat> and then the public found out that the city of Rotterdam agreed to do this, and they lost their shit, mm-hmm. right? And they were like, are you serious? It's like a historic bridge. <laughs> this asshole. Right. Like, what are you doing? So they were like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. So his ship is stuck in the harbor because they're having to figure out what to do. And so it looks like they're going to have to, like, saw off the top of the ship, put it on the deck, sail it out, <laughs> and then put it back oh on. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I thought, don't you guys build ships here all the time? Like you didn't know what the maximum right. space was, but you're like so wealthy you don't care because right. you're like surely I can just pay them to take the bridge apart, right? Because money can solve anything, right? What do I care? Right. God, the yeah. level of arrogance, yep. unbelievable. But they're lucky that the ship didn't get torched by like the people. Like, they, they, yeah, they, they, eat, they eat the rich people, right? right. They're just like, are you serious right now? Like, we got a food shortage in the world. You guys talking about how Jeff can't get his boat out to sea? Like, right. Come on, man. <laughs> come on. What an asshole. Looks like it's about patient time. Yeah.